Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week's guest, the very funny Brian Sack. We'll catch up with the former Blaze personality, see what he's up to in just a moment. Well, it is tax season, and the team over at American Pride Roasters Coffee, they're remembering the first Treasury Secretary and the Vice President who killed him. Remember that historic duel back on that July morning in 1804? Yes, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. While Burr beat both murder and treason charges, he didn't escape having a tasty APR coffee blend named after him. The Burr Hamilton. It's made from Central and South American coffee beans with a special blend of blueberry and donut flavors. It's a terrific dessert coffee, but also a great companion to your favorite pastry breakfast. And please note the ATM promo code. That's changed as a tax season special. If you order at least two pounds of coffee over at aprcoffee.com, you type in ATM in the special instructions section during checkout, and you're going to receive a free eight-ounce bag of the Reagan, a time-for-choosing blend, a $10 value. So get over to aprcoffee.com, take advantage of this yummy offer today. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Today's guest is Brian Sack. Brian is a former Blaze TV personality, improv actor, book author, and co-host of the podcast Questionable Material. Brian tells us some memorable, if unflattering, stories about a couple of popular musicians. He tells us about his previous life as an animal rights activist and what one item in your house says about you. Without further delay, here's this episode of At The Mic with prolific world traveler, Brian Sack. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Hi, Keith. How are you? I am so good. Actually, I'm great <laughs> because I've been looking forward to this. Uh, you and I tried to schedule this interview for months, literally, but yours truly, of course, came down with COVID and yeah. uh, lost my voice. And here we are. I'm glad we could finally make time. So thank you, sir. It was a long time in the making. It was. It was. So you are not only, uh, I don't know, a comedian and a podcaster, but also a book author. I highly recommend uh, The United States versus Santa Claus if you're looking for a fun book. Great job with that. Uh, have you written anything else besides that? Because that's the only book that I'm familiar with of yours. Well, darn. Yeah, I have. I, I wrote um, <laughs> in 2008, I had a book called uh, uh, In the Event of My Untimely Demise, which was tongue in cheek advice for my son. Two years later, the BS of A, uh, a primer in politics for the incredibly disenchanted. My goodness, I have got a lot of catch-up reading to do. I'm so sorry. How embarrassing. That's right. I mean, you know, the BS of A now is kind of dated because it was referring to politics back in, you know, nine years ago. So, Oh, the good old days, You right? know, yeah, the good old days. <laughs> Things were so much simpler nine years ago. I don't know. I mean, the, the title was, you know, Primer in Politics for the Incredibly Disenchanted. So I guess things weren't going that great then either. That's, that's a fair point. Nowadays, you and your buddy, Jack Helmuth, you guys are still together doing stuff. In fact, you've got your own podcast, Questionable Material, which is very funny, qmpodcast.com for anyone who wants to check that out. QM for Questionable Material. Funny how that worked out. I know, right? Podcast.com. How far back do you guys go, you and Jack? Ja I mean, Jack and I met for the first time when I was looking for a producer for the BS of A, which was the show I had on 
the Blaze in the very early years of the Blaze. So 2011 is when the show launched. So that's when I met Jack. I actually was, I was, uh, somebody said, I, I have a great person I'd like you to meet. I think you guys would hit it off. And, uh, and so we, we met at a, at an Irish pub in New York and, uh, he's not much of a drinker. And, and he tells the story, like I met him, we interviewed and talked and I convinced him to, to drink more wine than he was capable <laughs> of drinking. And, uh, and then he's, he stumbled home and, and, uh, bought a McFlurry and uh, that didn't help things. <laughs> and so he had an unpleasant evening, but that was our first meeting. So that was 20, 2011, probably in the f early fall of 2011. Okay. I'm glad you guys are still creating comedy together. And that's actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about questionable material. And I, I mean this as a compliment because I can never tell with you guys or any of your stuff, really, if you're doing improv or if it's scripted or right. if it's partially scripted. And so I wasn't surprised when I was reading the email that you sent back to me where I ask all the questions and stuff ahead of time. I wasn't surprised that a big part of your background is improv comedy. And so that, that kind of stood out to me and I thought, see, I can't tell. So please tell me what percentage of what <laughs> you do is scripted and what is improv? For the pot, yeah, for questionable material, um, it's not, I mean, the only thing that would be conceivably scripted would be the cold open. Like I, I try to do, we will do like a comedy bit at the beginning, right. a fake right. commercial, but I, the, the podcast itself is, is generally, improvised. Um, right now we've kind of fallen into the rhythm where when we start the recording, I, I answer his Skype call, uh, with a, with some kind of pretend business name or something. And then he just kind <laughs> yeah. of, he works on it from there. And we, you know, uh, there are bits like uh, news you missed, which is the, you know, the news you missed during the, the, the news cycle that I found. And those are stories I've written, you know, in, in advance, but in general, okay. it's mostly improvised. Um, I mean, the, I can't imagine that's gotta be tough, huh? I, I, you know, improv was something that I was always fascinated by. And I started doing in long before it was trendy and you had to actually really explain to people what you were doing. Uh, uh -huh. So, you know, 91, I think was the first time I saw an improv show and I was like, oh my God, I love this. And I wound up eventually auditioning for that group that I had seen and got into that. And I did that for 10 years with them. And yeah, it was, you know, we, when you're in a good group with, a, with people you really work with who have, you know, and you're all kind of on the same comedic wavelength and you know how to set each other up and, and what to expect from that person if you deliver them some kind of a line. It's, it can be really, really awesome. And actually, we had shows where afterward people would come up and say, you know, th there's no way that was improvised. You guys scripted <laughs> it, please. And that was the best compliment because it really no meant kidding. like, yeah, it was just kind of like, no, no, we, we made it all up. Like we, you know, we, and we, I mean, I still have memories of, of shows and songs and things. And, and we had a really <laughs> solid group and we had uh, Gary Anthony Williams, uh, who's one of the most talented improv performers ever and a good friend of mine. And he's out in LA now. And he's, I mean, he's been on tons of shows, Boston Legal. He does a voiceover for Boondocks. He's been, oh, wow. uh, and just extremely funny. And uh, just, we do magical shows. And actually our keyboardist was in a band from the seventies called Starbuck. Huh. And they had a, they had a hit song called Moonlight Feels Right. And I don't know if you know that song, but it's like a, uh, it's a very classic song from the seventies. And he was our okay. improv keyboardist and he was fantastic. Wow. Yeah. It was a good How show. Great. I missed that. I never I, thought of that. I never thought of like having to be an improv 
keyboardist at the show, but that must be exactly what, whose line is it anyway? In a way, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Because, you know, I mean, we'd, we'd always do stuff like, okay, you know, we're going to do a song. Uh, you know, what's the song about? It's like, oh, the, you know, the Georgia Route 400. You know, okay. Uh, and, the, you know, what style do you want the song? Uh, you know, country. Okay. And then, you know, because Gary's black, they, people would always be like, and, and with a rap chorus, you know, like they'd always want Gary to rap. And he was a phenomenal rap. I mean, he's amazing. And, and then Sloan, who was the keyboardist, would just put together this amazing song that was a country song with a rap chorus. And, you know, we had, we had the audience, you know, holding up their lighters to the singing a song about the Georgia Route 400. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. So, does Jack have a background in improv as well, or is that just something he's developed with you? I think, I mean, we have a good comedic rapport and he knows what to, I mean, he really knows how to get stuff out of me and, right, right. and, and he's, he's very good at predicting where I'm going to go, but it's, it's actually very funny. Like, cause you can, when we're recording stuff and I'll see him, you know, see his face and I can see him getting super excited when, when I'm going in a direction that either you know, he knew <laughs> I was going to go in or completely takes them by surprise. Uh, he get, I mean, he's like a little kid. He gets all, you know, giddy. Um, that but we just, is great. <laughs> we have a good rapport. Like we, we just, you know, we, and actually, I mean, when he called me on the phone, all, you know, for years, I mean, it, we would do these comedy routines where he'd call me and I'd answer the phone with some fake thing. And then at one point we're like, why don't we record this instead of just wasting it? And now we've gotten to the point yeah. where we don't even talk on the phone anymore because it'll be like, well, just save it for the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. You know what? Hold on. Everything you're describing feels like Pat and I, I produce Pat Gray Unleashed right. on the Blaze. And I feel like as you're describing this, I'm kind of Jack to, to Pat, you know, yeah. like I, I'm trying to set him up because I know how he's going to respond. Yeah. And, and right down to where you said, save it for the podcast. He and I'll start, you know, babbling during the commercial breaks. And it's almost like we're getting into a bit or, you know, like a, like a routine here. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And one of us will say, oh, let's just save it till we come back, you know? Yeah. And then see where it goes from there. Exactly. Because it's like, well, why waste this between you and I when, uh, you know, yeah. we could uh, put it on a podcast. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Everyone needs to check out QM, stands for questionable material, QMpodcast.com. Check it out. Two very funny guys. And it's now, on all the platforms, Apple and everywhere. Google and uh, you know, iHeartRadio awesome. and whatever. Very good. Awesome. So you were born in New York City. Yep. But you were kind of grew up, though, in Massachusetts, correct? Yes. Uh, I was born in New York and then because uh, my father was working in the city, but we lived in White Plains, which is kind of outside of the city. It's like a bedroom community. And then he moved to the South Shore of Massachusetts. So South of Boston, near Plymouth, where the Pilgrims uh -huh. came. Oh, um, wow. so, so how old were you when you moved? Oh, probably one or two. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, I so I, I most of my growing up was done in, in this small town. How did you end up back in New York? I went to school in upstate New York for college and most of my friends moved to the city. And at the time the city had been kind of decimated, you know, it was kind of crime ridden. You, you expected to be mugged. <laughs> when you went to yeah. the ATM kind of, and I thought, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. And so I wound up going down to Atlanta and I was down in Atlanta from 91 to 2001. Wow. Uh, that's where I was born and raised. So we were there at the same time. What part of town were you in? Uh, I lived, let's say at first I lived in Dunwoody, uh -huh. which is north of north the, of city, yeah. yeah. And then moved into the Virginia Highlands. Okay. Which was, you know, it had, it was kind of, I wouldn't say walkable, but it was like a little neighborhood with, you know, they had bars and restaurants and it was good for somebody in their twenties. 
And so I lived in a variety, I lived in like a, re- a rental condo and then somebody's house that was partitioned and then, uh, and then eventually bought a house near the Virginia Highlands. Yeah. I spent a good well, 10 years there. And then, but you know, I, I had met my wife or who she at the time she was my girlfriend, but she was, mm-hmm. I'd met her in Paris in an Irish pub <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a theme and, yeah. uh, and, and she's Polish. And she's Polish. And <laughs> so, and I had my company and I was working in Atlanta and I, I, I had wanted to move to New York for years and I had kept talking about it and just never, you know, I kind of had a footing there in Atlanta. You know, I had this business with another partner and my wife, or not at the time, girlfriend was visiting and visiting and visiting from France and staying longer and longer periods of time. And, and then at some point uh, I came home from work and she's just sitting there. I'm like, what's the matter? And she's like, I feel like a bird in a golden cage. And I was like, what does that mean? She's like, she's like, you know, it's nice. You know, that we, you know, we're just sitting in this house. It's nice, but like, I'm bored. Like Atlanta's boring to me. I want to move. And you know, I, I, in fairness, I had taken her from Paris. I mean, she lived in Paris, France, and it's a okay. phenomenal city. And then to bring her from Paris to Atlanta, you know, it's not the same. Yep. That would make sense. She didn't, you know, she didn't really like enjoy driving anywhere. And, and so she was just kind of, you know, sitting there waiting for me to come home from work. But how did you get to Atlanta to begin with? How did that happen? Uh, I went down there for an internship at an ad agency because I really didn't know what, I, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted, you know, what to do with myself. And I knew somebody who had a, you know, a contact at an ad agency and I, I figured, you know, I, I contacted them and I went down and I said, yeah, I, I just need to figure out, you know, what I want to do. I knew it was kind of writing related or something creative. Most of my friends, you know, they came to the city and were doing stand-up comedy and, and improv and things like that. And I just wound up in uh, at an ad agency and I happened to be good at writing, especially radio. And so I kind of found my groove there and I enjoyed writing radio commercials. They were kind of like mini screenplays. You know, they were like minute long screenplays. And I, a lot of the other writers would, I, I got hired not too long afterwards because um, the owner of the ad agency liked me and liked my writing style. And so I wound up getting hired for not a lot of money. <laughs> I, mm. remember, I remember when he, he told me he was going to hire me and I got all excited and then he told me what he was going to pay me. And he's like, what, what, what's that face about? What, what's that frowny face? <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I just kind of thought it would be more, especially compared to my friends in New York who were making a lot more money. But of course their cost oh. of living was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So as you th- probably well know now, <laughs> oh God. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous and gets more ridiculous by the day. And, and now that the city's broke, it's going to get even worse. You can see that, you know, they're the meter maids out there ticketing every, every parked car they can. And I mean, they're doing everything they can in this town to raise money. Yeah. Okay. So you grew up in Massachusetts. Yep. I, I, I'm sorry to jump around here. It's my own fault, but you grew up in Massachusetts. You have two younger brothers. How, how much uh, younger are they? About four years difference. Okay. And then four and seven, I guess, years difference. Are you close to your brothers? Were you as a kid or? No, um, not really. I mean, we, you know, we're just typical family. You know, we had, my mother was sick. Uh, she had breast cancer and was sick for four years before she died. So, I mean, I think that screwed things up. You know, it cer- certainly didn't you? help. I, uh, when she died, it was uh, 13, just about to turn 14. Goodness, Brian, I can't imagine. So that, that. Well, you see Obviously. it coming. I mean, you know, you kind of, yeah. you know, I had a four year heads up. When your mom passed, um, it probably changed the dynamic uh, in the family. I, I'm going to have to make assumptions here. I apologize. But I, I, I just, it seems like a dad with three young sons, I mean, yeah. the oldest being 13, that had to be tough. 
Oh yeah, for him, it, um, yeah, it was a, an absolute mess. I'm sure. Yeah, but especially because you know the he was the breadwinner. He was the you know his focus was work, and you know now he he was kind of a a parent and a you know and a breadwinner. I mean, I've got two teens now, and I you know I can't f- trying to imagine doing that on my own. Yeah. Right. Right. And and how old are your uh, are your children right now? Sixteen and thirteen, about to turn fourteen, which is hard for me to believe. I don't know what happened. Well, yeah. I mean, time, it just yeah. flies by, right? It really so does. Is, being that you're in the city, does the 16-year-old drive or want to drive or how does that work? Uh, he does. Dr- yeah. He got, he got his permit the day after he turned 16. We marched right over to the DMV, uh, got his permit. He actually, yeah, he was driving yesterday and he's, he's, I was such a terrible driver that I'm really happy that he's a, he's a good, you know, just kind of <laughs> chill driver. I was a, I was a mess. That's my hope too for my kids. I'm a terrible driver. I've always been a terrible driver. My oldest doesn't have any interest in driving and she's about to hit 18. Really? But she, yeah. you got, and you live in Texas, right? We live way out. Yeah, we live out of the metro. I mean, we're in the edges of what you would consider the metro area. But everything, you know, her friends drive and uh, everything is pretty close. So kind of works out. But my son is chomping at the bit. Yeah. Okay. So he's, he's ready to go. He could have already had his learner's permit if not for COVID. And so that's really set him back, you know, uh, but, but I can't imagine not wanting to drive from day one. Yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, I, I, I think I had a calendar specifically devoted to, to just counting down the, the, the days till I could drive. I was so, so incredibly bored growing up. Like, you know, we lived, this town was small and it was kind of, it was rural and I, I was bored and I could not wait to get my license. <laughs> and when I did get my license, I was so excited. I just drove and I, I got on the, um, I saw people hitchhiking and I pulled <laughs> no. over. No, I pulled, come yeah. on. I, I, there were, people were hitchhiking and I, I pulled over, it was like three guys and I pulled over and, and they said they were going to Plymouth. And I was probably about, you know, 30 to 40 minutes from Plymouth. And I was like, sure. <laughs> and Man. I drove them. I mean, it was insane, but I just, I was so eager to just get out and drive. Wow. So did you meet interesting people? Did you have any regrets from picking up randos on the freeway? That's the, actually, oh. that's the only time I pick people up if I, you okay. know, and, uh, you know, but you know, I, it, from, but from that point on, I was you know, just driving everywhere, just aimlessly just to, to get out of the house. Sure. Yeah. I, I totally understand. Now, when you were a kid, you know, you're growing up, finally get to drive. And during that time, had you already determined what you wanted to do for a living, something with comedy, or did that come later? Uh, I mean, I, I always had a creative bent and I was always kind of, I was making eight millimeter movies with uh, this camera that my father had. And and then eventually videos when he got a video cassette recorder thing back, you know, these <laughs> giant camera things that were attached to a VCR. You know, and I don't you know, people don't remember. I mean, some, you know, especially the kids have no idea. But I was walking around this giant, you know, VCR backpack connected to a huge camera that took really bad video, you know? Right. Well, and now you know, okay. my wife's phone is so amazing. It's like, I'm, I'm so jealous. Like <laughs> if I had had that growing up. So I don't remember the backpack cameras. I thought you were describing the video cameras that just basically would just dig into your shoulder that you would have to carry around. And I have not seen, I need to do some Googling. I got to go see the uh, backpack video. Camera. It was, I mean, it was a, it was a Betamax deck hmm. and it, you would basically, uh, press the two sides and slide out the, the 
cassette part that holds the cassette and all the recording stuff. And it was on a sling and you just kind of throw that over your shoulder. And that was connected to a wire that was connected to the camera that took really bad video. Like the quality is so bad. <laughs> totally not worth it. Right? <laughs> yeah. But at the time you're just like, this is amazing. And so you and a friend, if I understand, actually recorded like a talk show together with, with that equipment, correct? Yeah. And, and in fact, that, that was our, you know, my first foray into doing improv. Uh, my friend Dave and I would, we had a camera and we had a show we called Rat Piss <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was a talk show. And uh, we had the crappy graphics that you had back in the, you know, back in those days on the camera, you had the very basic graphics and it would flash like Rat Piss. And then we'd have, we just improvise <laughs> characters and interview one another and, you know, and make silly videos. And then my grandmother would walk in in the background like, what, what are you doing? Stop it, Dave. You know, just like, <laughs> I have all this great material with her in the background. That's awesome. Yeah. Friends of mine and I, we would uh, record and basically it was a ripoff of Saturday Night Live. We just called it Friday Night Taped. <laughs> and we just did a bunch of bits like that. We just basically impersonated characters from SNL. Oh, okay. But but I tell you, man, you, you, you turn a teenager loose with a creative mind and, and a video camera yeah. Who knows? But if I find those tapes, I might have to burn them at this point. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, they only exist in like my attic. You know, it's not like yep. I put them on. There was no YouTube. I, you know, maybe I, I would have been a YouTube celeb, but uh, you yeah, could have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You were born you know, in the wrong time, Brian. I was. I was. <laughs> I can't be a YouTube celeb now. Too uh, old. You've had a number of jobs throughout yep. your life. Uh, we've covered uh, some of them here, but I could actually see you as a waiter like i could see you doing a great job getting big tips making people laugh did was that not your experience or, you would be or? incorrect <laughs> oh no oh no i was uh, a good waiter in some ways but also just kind of clumsy I, I mean yeah. I, I remember dumping a, an entire tray of ice water down a guy's back and he was not happy oh. and i oh. i didn't get a did not get a good tip oh uh, no i was very i i was especially when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, like I was very good at, at charming older women, mm -hmm. especially I would card them. <laughs> there you go. Good oh, plan. Nice job. They loved me. I would, you know, oh, may I see some ID, please? Are you, are you kidding me? Um, no, I'm sorry. I just can't tell. Oh, bless you. I, oh, I love, and, th and then, I mean, after that, you know, 20, 25, 30% tip. What did I tell you? Yeah. I knew you would be good at this. <laughs> Certain things. That's awesome. You know, it, it was, yeah, it was, uh, and it was fun. I, I met some of my best friends when I was working waiting tables and a bunch of guys from Ireland. I wound up becoming friendly with them and just really enjoying their company. And I'm still in touch with them and uh, see them every once in a while. Now, I asked if you had any hobbies and you said you're, you're mediocre at carpentry. Yep. What's the item that you've built that you're most proud of? Uh, I, my COVID project this summer was a, a table for my big green egg, the barbecue. It's that uh, yes. Komodo grill or, or Kamado grill. Um, and yeah. I built, and, and I'm actually really, it, it came out really nice and I'm very happy with it. That was my, that's the biggest project I've ever done. And, you know, I, oh, cool. and it's where I finally used the techniques I've been like routing, which is something I never knew existed until a couple of years ago. Pocket holes. Um you know, I'm learning. It's funny because my, my business partner in Atlanta was a carpenter. He was amazing. Uh, and we built our recording studio and I had no idea how difficult it would be, but like he, he just said, yeah, we'll just build the studio out and save a lot of money. But he was fantastic. <laughs> he, he would like wander off and then come back with a bookshelf, you know, 
He'd, he'd look oh at my. something, he'd measure it. He's like, and then he'd come back and suddenly there was like a, a, a cubby that was nicely designed and put together. I am so jealous of anybody with that skill because I am the exact opposite. Yeah. I would end up just chopping off a digit or two. Uh, me with power tools. I mean, it's documented on, on my Twitter timeline. Some of the uh, injuries I've, I've caused myself. Yeah, I heard so, you talking to talking to Brad Staggs about him. I guess, I think he lost piece of his a piece of his finger <laughs> with yes. from power tools. Yeah, but see, he can build stuff. I mean, there's stuff in my house that I have purchased from Brad Staggs that, oh, wow. that he has built. I mean, he has got talent. You talk about building studios. I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. His background. He's been building stuff his entire life. I'm lucky if I'm and, and I'm not being facetious at all. I'm lucky if. Over the course of using a power tool, I don't injure myself in some way to the point where my kids, my kids are like, you know what, dad, I got this. Oh, wow. I got this, dad. Yeah. But anyhow, um, so kudos to you. Maybe you can keep building on that skill. You know, Brad Staggs actually wrote a book that you could pick up at some point too. Oh, I'll check that out then. Yeah. I'm actually pretty clumsy. And so I'm very careful when I'm using something like the table saw or the chop saw. I have my, one of my best friends uh, who does a lot of building and stuff. I mean, he chopped a finger off or a tip of his finger off accidentally, but he, he was also doing everything wrong. Like he had his chops on the floor. You know, you, you don't do that. <laughs> he kind <laughs> of fell forward. He fell forward as he was cutting. Um, so, but I'm careful, but I do have tools that could kill me if I, if I'm not paying attention. I wear my goggles and my gloves and you know, I'm, I'm safe. Good. Knock on wood. That's I'm going to say that. And then next time you talk to me, I'll be missing a limb. So tell us about, uh, you've got a kitty cat. I do. And it's mochi. Right? Mochi. Yeah. And which is a Japanese dessert. Don't eat your kitty cat. Come on. No. So recently had a brain tumor removed. Young cat. Yep. How did y'all know that that was what was going on? Well, she started acting weird. So if you have a cat, you know that when they start hiding, uh-huh. That's a, that's a bad sign. And so, uh, suddenly she was hiding underneath the, the sofa kind of all day, which is very abnormal behavior. And then we noticed that she was constantly walking to the left. She would just kind of walk she, and, and then her, it looked like her movement was impaired and almost stroke like where half of her body was kind of just not working right. And so we took her in and I think they misdiagnosed her the first time and said, maybe she had a tooth infection. So we had some dental work done. And then that didn't fix the issue. And then uh, they said, well, you know, uh, it could be something else. And they, they gave her some antibiotics and this, and that didn't fix the issue. And then he said, oh, I'm kind of concerned. It might be something to do with the brain. And so we had to get an MRI, which I didn't even know they did for cats. And when they came back, they said, uh, yeah, the the cat has a tumor that's taking up one third of her cranium. And they showed me the picture and it was actually, it was pushing her brain. So there's this blob and it's basically pushing her brain to the side. And I said, oh well, my. yeah. And it was one of these things where, well, what do we do about that? He's like, well, you have two choices. You can do brain surgery or you can do hospice, you know, end of life care. We can give medications and uh, she won't last. You know, she, it'll be a few weeks. I mean, there's no, there's, this is terminal. And, you know, it being 2020 <laughs> and, uh, and my, my kids being like, like, no, don't let her die. You know, we thought about it. And my older son who had bought a, like a couple of shares of Tesla back when it was very low. He basically Uh was like, he's like, I've got some money I can contribute. And I'm like, 
okay. And so we, I just didn't want 2020 to get another victim. Right. So we, we wound up opting for the brain surgery and it was insane. I mean, but, and, but man, she's, she's completely normal now. That's great. It's kind How of amazing. She? She's about seven. Okay. Very and, good. And uh, you'd never know. Oh, that's, that's really great to hear. See, I am an animal lover. I'm a pushover for animals. Yeah. And so when someone tells a story like this about, you know, they had an animal that was like in her situation, very, very sick. I don't blame them no matter how much money they end up spending. And I'm not going to ask because it doesn't matter, honestly, because if I were in that position, I don't know what I would do. I might go into debt to save. I love my dogs. And I've actually my entire life until recently, I was a cat person. I had a cat for 17 and a half years. It broke my heart when she died recently. You get so attached to them and they are literally a part of your family. It's not just some throwaway line, oh, you're a part of the family. I mean, seriously, you spend years walking from room to room with this shadow, and all of a sudden, the prospects of them not being there, tell me where to sign, Doc, seriously. Yeah, I had I had a cat, Omar, that I named after Omar Bradley, and uh, <laughs> I had him for 17 something years, from, you know, dating back to Atlanta, and, mm -hmm. When he started to go, I mean, and he was, he was a dog cat. Like he was, he followed me around. He, he was yep. my buddy as opposed to Mochi who wants nothing to do with me. Like she's just, <laughs> she just, she's like, nope, not interested. Have she, you she explained to her that you saved her life though? Oh, she, and she's not the brightest. She really, I, I can tell <laughs> she's just not like uh, Omar was a Maine coon and was right. just, and they, it was just a cool cat. He was, he was very dog-like and, and Mochi's just this timid little kitty. I mean, she's a cute little thing and, and she loves the 16 year old, mm. uh, but really wants nothing to do with me. But, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, when, when Omar got sick, I, I, you know, I did everything I could to, to keep him alive. And, you know, we had this ridiculous regimen where I was, you know, sticking him with a needle twice a day. And then, you know, at some point he's just like, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go die in the shower, <laughs> uh. just, which is what they do. They kind of wander off and then they just kind of sit there. They want to be alone. Yeah. They don't want an Animals. audience. Yeah. Animals know. Yep, they so, do. I didn't even connect the two when you just said Mochi loves the 16-year-old. Is the 16-year-old... When, when, when you said, yeah, you know, one of my sons had bought Tesla stock. Well, first of all, how cool is that? Are, are you saying that, that your sons invested money into the stock market? Yeah, I thought uh, I wanted to... to you know, do something educational. And I thought, okay, I, I opened two brokerage accounts and I, I just put some money in it, not a lot. Um, and I just said, you know, here, you can pick a stock uh, or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever you can. Uh, I'm not going to judge you on the stock. I'm not going to give you advice. I, I just want to see what you guys do. And, and some of the, the 16 year old bought like two shares of, or three shares of Tesla but it was you know, wow. much cheap. It was very cheap. I mean, it's his portfolio is up a thousand percent. I couldn't believe it. That is awesome. I, I could not believe. And, uh, how and old he, were they when, when, when you, when you gave them this opportunity? Um, it was like, it was a year, it was a year ago. Okay. So they, it, it's been, yeah, it was December, 2019. So okay. in, in one year, his portfolio was up over a thousand percent. And then the other one, <laughs> it, it was hilarious. Like the, the 13 year old, I, I woke him up in the morning for school and he goes, Oh dad, um, last night after you put me to bed, I actually got up and I, I bought a share of United airlines. <laughs> That's fun right there. That, that I, you have given me an idea. I've been, I've been writing this down cause I'm doing that with my kids. That's fun. 
the, the only thing, you know, now I'm kind of worried. It's like, I, I don't want him to think, you know, the 16 year to think that it's that easy to get that kind of return on investment because I, I certainly, first of all, I would have told him not to buy Tesla if he had, oh, if wow. he had asked me because, um, I just, I don't know. I, it didn't seem like, I, I can't believe how amazingly the stock has done, but I, I would have advised him against it. So, I mean, I'll just keep my mouth shut at this point. <laughs> well, maybe you should have him pick your stocks now. No, I'm, a, I'm actually, you know, I watch now what, you know, what they, they do. And, uh, and he, you know, he bought a, like a share, a couple of shares of JetBlue. And I was like, well, why are you, you know, why are you buying JetBlue? Nobody's traveling. He's like, yeah, but they will. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's cool, man. And, and they, they will learn a lesson one way or the other, right? I, yeah, <laughs> I think either, so. They, yeah. They'll, they'll know they're doing it right or they'll know what they did wrong. Yeah, well, it's you know, they're, and it's in, you know, they one of the first, when I first started investing, which was you know early '90s, um, I uh, my thing was like I, I only would buy what I knew, and which was a Warren Buffett thing. Like he, you know, he never got involved in the tech stuff in the in the '90s, and people asked him, "Why aren't you investing in tech?" And he's like, "Because I don't understand it." He goes, "I, mm. you know, I buy what I understand," and uh, so at the time, you know, I I bought, I bought Starbucks very early. And the reason I bought Starbucks was because I was working in a, in an office building. I was going downstairs every day and I was spending, you know, three or $4 on a mocha. That was my, it, it, when, you know, the two o'clock, three o'clock, you know, droopy eyelids hit, you know, every time I got tired yep. that I go downstairs and buy my mocha. And then at some point I realized like, this is a company that, you know, I use every single day at my work and, and they seem to be doing a good job. And I bought Starbucks stock. And the rest, as they say, is history. Is history. Yeah, very good. Okay. So your favorite music genre is the 80s. Yeah. Okay. I'm a child of the 80s. Yeah, well, I am too. I just I just recently had an epiphany, just personally speaking, that, boy, I loved the 80s, but uh, didn't care for the music or the style of clothes. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there are some bands from the 80s that I really like, um, but... Other than that, you know, I just, I don't know, too many keyboards. So it's funny you say that because my, yeah. the 16 year old just bought a keytar. Uh oh. He spent uh -oh. his entire, basically his entire summer savings. He was working a job at a landscaping place this summer. And he's like, Dad, I want to get a keytar. And I was like, <laughs> What are you starting a synth band? He's like, No, I just really want a keytar. And, uh, and we looked him up and he, he went and he plunked down pretty much all of his summer money on this keytar. Well, I hope that pays it's off. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Does he walk around the house So he's he's into eighties music, which is really funny because you know he he and I have the same taste in music. So who's your favorite band from that era? I, I mean, the the most influential was probably the Smiths. Yeah. Okay. Because See, that's one of those that's one of those bands I love from that era. Yeah. I mean, I make, I became a vegetarian. And because of the Smiths and, uh, I just, you know, I like the mopey, you know, he very smart lyrics, but, um, yeah, me too. he's very, you know, clever. So um, I wonder how many people became vegetarians because of Morrissey? I'm sure a lot. I mean, I, I got better <laughs> over time. Like I, it just didn't, I, I realized I missed steak and bacon and things like that. And it didn't stick, but at the time it, it really turned me, I was a, I was a, an annoying animal rights advocate. I was going around my college putting up posters of, of animals being, you know, tested on, very graphic. Oh, and wow. That was you, huh? That was me. I was a member of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, which is a crazy organization. Yeah, I was yes. a, a card-carrying oh. member of PETA. Oh, at, my. 
But it actually, what, what, it, what years are we talking about? Oh, this was, I mean, this was 86 to 90. Okay. Um, so and what did yeah, you I, do to annoy people? I, you know, I was, uh, it's funny, uh, a friend of mine uh, from college just sent me a letter I had written to the school newspaper in 87 or 88 uh, about oh. animal testing. And uh, I was, so I'd constantly write letters to the editor, to the school newspaper. I would put up posters. I would, you know, hover over people, you know, my friends who were eating hamburgers and be like, no, oh, you know that beef? Co-? You know, I was, I was a, annoying. I was, a, I was a kind of a, you know, one of these annoying activist types, which is uh-huh. good now because now I understand how these people work. <laughs> So when oh, I see, yeah. when, you know, I know how their brains work and I, and, and there's a certain level of brainwashing. Cause at the time I was 100% convinced that there was absolutely no benefit from animal testing huh. because, you know, because I had been told that by people for the ethical treatment of animals. You know, I know now that, you know, certainly I don't think you should test cosmetics on bunny eyes and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was convinced, you know, and this is coming from somebody whose mom died of cancer and I was convinced you shouldn't do any kind of cancer testing on monkeys or anything like that. I was, you know, very adamant about it. So I understand how these people function and how they're they're able to tune out uh, things they don't want to hear or know. It it appears that you're a pretty voracious reader, correct? Yeah, I read a lot. Not as much as I used to. I think you know, there's so many distractions now. It takes me longer to get through books. Well, explain this because I've had this conversation recently with my oldest daughter, the 17 year old, almost 18, and she is an avid reader. She's a quick reader, and you see a different book in her hand every few days and you just, you realize, my goodness, um, you're not jumping around books. You're, you're moving on to the next one. But in this age of smartphones, which I think is what you might be alluding to, I see her playing stupid games more often than I like, like, I don't know, fruit ninja and stuff like that. Yeah. And and like some Harry Potter game on her phone. I don't know. I'm raising three Harry Potter freaks. Thank you the wife for that one. Uh, so it, it just kind of bugs me a little bit. I'm like, where are those books? Is that kind of what, what you're talking about as far as distractions or, or am I on the wrong track here? Yeah, no, it's, it's true. You start reading a book and then, you know, you get a text message uh, yeah. and then from the text message, you real, oh, you go, oh, you know, I want to check something. And then you check something. And then from that, you wind up on a different website. And then before you know it, it's like, oh uh, yeah, I had that book, but now I can't read it. Cause I, I need to leave. You know, it's, it just, yep. I, I, I'm trying to be more disciplined where I just say, okay, I'm going to take, you know, 30 minutes, an hour. I'm going to sit down and, and turn everything off and I'm just going to read my book. But yeah, there's, there's just too many. It's um, actually very smart and, and it, it, it's so simple, yeah. but yet it never occurred to me until this moment in time when I'm reading, put the phone, turn it off. Yeah. So you can't even hear it vibrate or yeah, see airplane, the, the notification. It, airplane yeah. mode, you know, just airplane s- mode. But yeah, you know, when I, I was commuting to World Trade Center four for a year and, you know, I would use the subway time to read. And, you know, I always would look at people playing like Candy Crush and think like, God, it's such wasted time. Totally. You know, you, you could be reading the news or anything. And, and it was always nice to see somebody reading a book, especially if it, what I dislike about Kindles is you can't see what somebody's reading. Uh, you know, so I, you know, I'd like to, you know, you can actually, you know, for, for, you get to know somebody if you see what they're reading. And I, you know, I see people on the subway with a book. I'll be, oh yeah. What do you think about that book or blah, blah, blah. Have you read his other book? Um, and you don't get that with Kindles. Same when you yeah, go to- before vi- you know it, that guy who you thought was just striking up a friendly conversation is asking about, uh, you know what they do to animals when they test them. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any <laughs> idea what's in that burrito? <laughs> no, but, but. Make your point. That that's that's very interesting. Yeah, you learn a lot about a person based on what literature they've got in their lap. Well, that and that's the thing. You know, 
with bookshelves, the Kindle kind of has ruined the bookshelf because you used to go to somebody's apartment and you kind of get uh, an idea of what interests them. You can get an idea of maybe wh- where they are politically, uh, um, you know, whatever, you know, uh, and what their, their, their points of interest are. And you don't get that with Kindles. That's a great point. You know, if you come into yeah. my living room and you look at the bookshelf, you, you can tell I'm definitely into World War II. Uh, I'm uh-huh. definitely into North Korea, the Soviet Union gulags. And, and, you know, and then you can see my wife is clearly a cook because, you know, we have 300,000 cookbooks and, and you can tell she speaks French and Polish. You know, it's just, you can form opinions about people and, you know, and kind of get to know them. That is very interesting that you say that because there's a relative of mine who is far left. Mm-hmm. And I was so stunned. I, I don't, it, it's a relative that lives far away. I've only been to this house one time, but I know this individual well enough to know far left tendencies, very liberal. And I was very surprised when I saw on his bookshelf a book by Judge Robert Bork slouching towards Gomorrah. Uh-huh. And I thought, that does not compute. It does not compute at all. And talking to him over the years, I have realized he's much more centrist than I first realized. Uh-huh. Um, he's not as liberal as I felt he was early on. And what the tip-off and what the icebreaker, I guess, for politics was, was seeing that book and me just pointing that out and saying, wow, Robert Bork book, huh? Interesting. And then that opened up this whole new world of conversation about politics and, and the history of America and the future of America and me realizing, wow, my, my preconceived notions were not as spot on as I anticipated. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can definitely, you, you learn a lot. I mean, it's, you, you get a window into, you know, what yeah. the person's about. I, I never thought about how the Kindle has kind of ruined conversations, at least yeah. about books and who yeah. knows what branches off of that. Yeah. I, um, I was on the subway and this guy was reading the Jordan Peterson book. Uh, was it yeah. 12 rules for, I forget now, but, uh, Hang and on. I had started Hang reading on. it and I, I found it kind of boring. <laughs> Uh, you know, he, he, he's, he tends to meander and just, he uses a lot of words. And at, at some point, I, I think I got a third of the way through, but I saw a guy in the subway. I'm like, oh, what do you think? He's like, yeah, you know, I, I like it. And I could tell from, you know, it was like, I'm like, yeah, but a lot of words, right? He's like, yeah, you know, it, it takes a long time to get there, you know? Yeah. Word economy, practice it or else exactly. I, uh, or I'm not going to get past chapter one. Cut that stuff <laughs> down. You've lived a very interesting life. You've crossed paths with a number of famous people I do want to know how John Mayer screwed up your book launch. What happened there? What's that all about? Oh, Johnny. Um, so, <laughs> John. So when I lived in Atlanta, uh, John was my intern for our recording studio. And wow. not a very good one, but, you know, very fun. We had a good time. And we, became, we became friends and hung out. And then um, when I moved, I moved up to New York in 2001 and he moved around uh, the same time. And so we'd see each other up here and go out to dinner and stuff. And, cool. uh, and then, you know, we maintained our friendship. And then uh, my book was coming out in 2008 and uh, it was being published by HarperCollins. And John, I had sent John a, like a, a preview copy. And he texted me from, he was on a plane or something on the tarmac. And he's like, I just finished your book. Love it. I want to help you promote it. And I'm like, oh, great. And I would never have asked for that. 
But he said, I, I want to help you promote the book. It's fantastic, blah, blah, blah. And I said, great. So I told HarperCollins. So <laughs> HarperCollins, you know, and he'd, he'd said, you, you have my word. That's the thing that really bothers me the most. He said, you have my word. I'll help you promote it. And we had come up with some great ideas where I might read and he might play guitar, but in the background of it, as I'm reading a chapter or whatever. When I told <laughs> HarperCollins this, uh, HarperCollins like changed their whole promotion strategy because now they had, uh -oh. you know, a, a celebrity promoting this guy's book. It's going to be, so they didn't really need to do much else. So uh, as we got closer and closer to the deadline, this was back, remember when you had the Apple chat and you could see when the other person was online? So I'd see he's online and I'd be like, Hey, you know, when, when should we get together for, to do this? And, you know, and then he'd go offline and then like, and then I would send him emails and not get responses. And, and then it, we got closer and closer to the deadline. And then finally I called him and I didn't want to be annoying, but it was at the, you know, yeah. it was like, okay, you, you had given me your word. You said, you know, they changed their whole marketing thing. And I called him and left a message and then I didn't hear from him. And then, you know, the deadline came and went, you know, HarperCollins the whole time. We were like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? I'm like, I, I don't know. I look like an idiot now. And then a couple of months later, he sends me an email just saying, give me a call. And I thought, you know what? You, you know, you screwed me over. I'm not even going to, there's no apology in this email. It just says, give me a call. I'm like, no. And so I just, that's the last I ever spoke to him. Oh man. Maybe he was wanting you to call so he could apologize and explain all the stuff he'd been going through. <laughs> He's obviously had a lot of relationship issues in the past, and maybe he was just dealing with a lot of those, a lot of fires at once. I don't know. You know, I don't know. But that was, you know, I, I'm. If you give somebody your word, you you don't yeah. do what he did, and I, and without any kind of effort to apologize, I figured, you know what, I don't need someone like that in my life, even if it's fun to go out to dinner with them, right. because it's certainly fun to go out, you know, dining with celebrities, because you know it's. It's kind of, I mean, it's interesting, but it's also incredibly annoying. All the tables around you stop talking. And then, so you, it's, um, and, and then it's like mutter, 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 mutter. You know, yeah, and you know, they're talking about you guys. Yep. You see people, I remember with this one dinner we had and I, I could tell the woman right next to us could not wait to get into the conversation. She was just sitting there waiting for her moment. And then uh, there was like a lull in our conversation and she just leans over and she's like, I'm with uh, Tommy Hilfiger. And I, you know, I, and uh, anything you want, let me know and hands him a business card. And I'm just like, son of a, that's not fair. Like, like you, you're, you're rich, you're famous. And they're coming to you and saying, you want free clothing, anything you want, wow. you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> but uh, it was hilarious. I think it would get tiresome after a while. You know, you can't really have a normal dinner out. So you worked for MTV, like an interview crew in the late eighties. You talk about how you've met a bunch of musicians when I ask, you know, any run-ins with famous people. I, I got to hear the story about how uh, Hootie clogged your toilet. Well, who that, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, that's not, I mean, that, so the MTV, there was a, I, I, in the summer, uh, in between junior and senior year of college, I went out to LA with my friend and we worked for a, a company that contracted with MTV to, to go around doing interviews. And so we were schlepping around Los Angeles uh, as part of an interview crew um, and, you know, met a ton of musicians and it was, that was a lot of fun. Um, but the, yeah, the Hootie story, uh, that was just, I had a friend in Atlanta when I lived and she worked for a record label and I was going out of town and she needed a place to stay. And she said, can I stay at your house? And I said, sure. And when I got back, um, she's like, I hope you don't mind, but you know, I had my friend Hootie or whatever his name, Dar is it Darius Rucker or something? 
Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I let my friend Darius stay here. Uh, he clogged your toilet, but I fixed it. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, who do you, you know, <laughs> clogged your toilet? I'm like, I, I, and you fixed it? He's like, yeah, he just kind of left it. I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh no. no. I'm like, don't do that. On. But she Foodie. fixed it. Oh, God. Oh, but the, the interview crew was fun. I mean, that was, especially, you know, I'm young, I'm in college and- yeah. You know, we're going around and, oh, you know, we've got a, there's a Beastie Boys interview at, you know, one thirty. It was very fun. You'd come into the office in the morning and see the calendar and what was lined up for the week and everything and see like Beastie Boys, you know, one thirty Capitol Records building. You're like, oh, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. Tell us about meeting Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon. Uh, Jack Lemon. Oh, so this would have been when I was like teenager. And my father had a friend in Los Angeles. And at the time, uh, this, he owned, this guy owned a restaurant called Ma Maison and it was the hip place in LA. It was before Spago, which became the, so the guy working in the kitchen was Wolfgang Puck uh -huh. and, and it was owned by this guy, Patrick and mommy and Patrick was very savvy. He knew how to play these Hollywood celebrities. So he opened a restaurant that had no sign, no listing, no phone number publicly available. And of course, every celebrity wanted to go there because you couldn't get in, you know what I mean? It was one of these places, like if you said you ate at Ma Maison, that meant like, wow, who, who, who do you know? Hmm. And uh, so and this Patrick was a good friend of my dad's and, and said, you know, my dad was going out to LA with me and he said, uh, well, come, come to Ma Maison, come to the restaurant. My dad says, great. We get to LA and my father calls 411, asks for the name, uh, number from Ma Maison and uh, is told there isn't, isn't one, it's unlisted. And, oh, my, wow. and my father doesn't know where the restaurant is. So being clever, he went to the fire department and That's he asked smart. the fireman, do you know where Ma Maison is? And they gave him the address. And so nice. we, we, we go to the restaurant, we go in and just sat at a table and, uh, and then Patrick came over and sat with us and we're talking. And as we were talking, just, it was just this parade of celebrities coming in to, to pay homage to Patrick, you know, for for his restaurant. And at one point, Jack, I mean, Jack, and I was a young kid, but I still recognized who Jack Lemon was. And he came right over to the table and said, Hey, hey Patrick. And Patrick said, Oh, these are my friends, you know, uh, Brian and his dad. And then I remember Joanna Carson, who was Johnny Carson's wife was there having a birthday party. Huh. And um, yeah, it was, it was really, you know, interesting. And, and, you know, the guy was a character. But, um, That's really cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So your earliest memory growing up, you got to tell us about, uh, a monster named Poo Poo Man. Oh, Poo Poo Man. I, <laughs> yeah. I think I wrote about that in my book. I don't even, my first book. I don't remember if I did. Uh, yeah, Poo Poo Man was a night. So <laughs> growing, you know, I, I would have a nightmare every night and I never made the connection. I was sleeping next to a radiator. Yeah, that's a Northeastern thing. You know, they're, they're all yeah. over the place. Yeah. And it was, I don't, this was, it wasn't really, the, the temperature wasn't really controllable as far as I remember. Uh, so it was basically just full blast hot, but I was too young to really make the connection between incredibly hot and, and nightmares. So pretty much every night I had a dream that a, a, a man made out of poo poo was going to come kill me. And he would, he would always try to, he would always design these, you know, Oh, it's a slide, but with daggers and axes on it that chops you up as you go down the slide. And my thing would always be like, well, can I say goodbye? You know, I want to say bye to my mom. I want to, you know, tell her I'm going to be killed. And they'd always be like, okay. And so I'd go say, and I'd try to tell my mom that, you know, Poopo man was trying to kill me and I couldn't get the words out. I have no idea what this, I'm sure there's some psychological reason for this dream. Uh -huh. uh, and I couldn't get the words out. And meanwhile, Poopo man's, you know, creeping up, coming to get me. And then I'd wake up out of my nightmare, but it was, it was a lot of poopoo man dreams. 
<laughs> so, until that radiator went away. Yeah. Oh my. And, and seriously, when the radiator was out of your life, then the poo poo man dream stopped. Yeah. Cause it was related to heat. I mean, heat gives you night nightmares. If you're too hot and you're sleeping, you have nightmares. I have never known that man. Yeah. And I, you know, I was literally lying next to this big source of heat and you know, wow, never comfortable. I yeah. Have no idea. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a, I, I have to have the room ice cold in order Me to too. sleep. Yep. I love okay. sleeping in a cold room. Right. And yeah. so my wife's like, it's so cold. It's so cold. Now I can say, well, um, do you want nightmares? <laughs> exactly. You want Poopal Man to come? If you, you want Poopal Man around, in your dreams? You don't want Poopal right. Man coming. That's right. That's right. Now you have uh, an embarrassing moment in your life that you can share with us, correct? Uh, I don't know if it's any more embarrassing than... Then Hootie clogged your toilet. I mean, that's that doesn't embarrass me. That's that embarrasses yeah, Hootie. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Hootie, it's out there now. I mean, when this thing publishes, the world will know that you were a bad house guest. So, do you have a story? Um, oh, the of, most embarrassing. I mean, I, the yeah. most recent embarrassing story. Yeah, I guess would be uh, the my kids' school uh, likes to raise money. Don't and, they all? Yeah. And, and my feeling is like, well, I'm already paying money. Why do you need to raise money? I'm, I'm right. paying money. I feel like that should be enough. Uh, my wife sent me, um, forwarded me this email from this school, you know, asking for, you know, about donations and blah, blah, blah. And I got to the office first thing in the morning and I saw the email that my wife had forwarded to me. And I responded, I said, well, don't, don't you think we pay enough already? And anyways, you know, some of that money would go towards the, you know, the, the person they hired who has the ridiculous degree in grievance studies, you know, the social justice person. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so it's being wasted. And uh, why don't we just, you know, pretend we're one of the anonymous donors. <laughs> and, and I sent it to my wife. And so I get home that night oh, and no. she goes, you never responded to my email. Oh, no, no, no. You know where this is going. I, I have said, a yeah. feeling. I'm like, yeah, I, of course I did. I first thing in the morning, first thing I did when I opened up my computer and I saw the email, I responded. She's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yes, I did. No, you didn't. I was like, and I opened up my laptop and I'm like, I, it's right here. Oh my God. <laughs> and I had sent it to the, the head of fundraising. Oh no. Well, and so at least my, they know how you feel. So and my wife looks at me and I mean, if looks could kill, I'd be so incredibly dead. And she's like, what have you done? I'm like, I, I'm an idiot. You know, and I, she's like, you need to fix that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was like, uh, yeah. So I you know, wrote to the head. I was like, I'm sorry. I, obviously that email was intended for my wife and not for you. <laughs> and she, you know, she was very graceful. She responded like, she's like, of, of, absolutely. I understood that. I, I figured just as much. And then I'm just thinking, my wife's like, you realize you're donating now, right? And I'm like, yes, I do. God. Yes, I do. <laughs> oh. And so we wound up attending the fundraiser, the school fundraiser. And man, that lady came right up to me with this giant grin on her face. Yeah. And, and she's like, oh, it's, it's good to put, you know, it's good to finally meet you. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to meet the guy behind that big check. The sucker. <laughs> Idiot. Oh boy. That, that's dummy. a very funny. That's, that's funny. I love this answer about if you could go back in history who would you meet? Drinks with Churchill, Winston Churchill. That's a great, uh, it's not only a great answer as far as Winston Churchill, but yes, drinks with Winston Churchill. That would be fun. You know, he liked his uh, champagne. Uh-huh. His uh, Paul Roger. 
Would you ask him anything specific? Anything uh, that you would want to ask? Winston I think just, you know he's such an you know outsized character. Like I, I think just being in his presence would be fascinating. You know, right. just I mean the the wit and the knowledge. Um, I read his one of his uh, biographies that is called The Last Lion. And I mean, you know, to show just how incredible this guy's life one was, it's like a three volume book. I mean, there's, wow. it's huge. There's just so much, but it's, and he's a fascinating character. I mean, he's, and, and in some ways, I mean, there's tragedy. Like he was, when he was a kid, he just shipped off to private school and spent most of his time asking his mother if she was ever going to stop by. Oh, <laughs> like it, it was, you know, so, you're very sad. Like it was very, it's very English actually. Just kind of like, okay, you're this, you're eight years old. Goodbye. You know, go to the school now. Somebody else is going to teach you and raise you and dad's going to run off and get syphilis. And uh, mom is is going to ignore you because she's a socialite. And Churchill narrowly avoided death as a child multiple times. That's yeah. I mean, he, the guy is the definition of resiliency. One thing I can't understand, I just I just don't understand how not only did Britain turn their back on him before World War Two, before he became prime minister, but it's like immediately after. I don't I just I've never understood that dynamic between him and the British people. Of how for that moment in time, you know, maybe it was divinely inspired, but for whatever reason, just for those years of World War II, did it seem, from my perspective, that Britain appreciated what they had? Yeah, I mean, he was the man of the hour for an hour, <laughs> and then it was kind of like, exactly. Yeah, and then it was oh, yeah. okay. Thanks, thanks for your service. So you're into sharpshooting. Yeah, I'm a I'm a good shooter. Is that something you can actually? do and participate in an activity that's allowed in the state of New York? Not in the city, in the state, if you yeah. get outside of city limits. I mean, yeah, the city has very restrictive laws on guns to, to the point where one time when we were shooting a sketch for the BS of A, so let's say 2012 or 2013, yeah. and I, I was dressed as a cop and I had a, a basically a BB gun in my holster. And when you're dressed, when you're shooting anything in New York and you're if you're dressed as a police officer, you have to have someone from the, the New York City Police Department's film unit on the set. Okay. So it's an actual uniformed officer who will go with you and be on the set and just make sure there's no confusion between, you know, you being dressed as a cop and being treated like a cop. You know, they, they, it's a, you know, a sensible requirement. So we had sure, this cop, sure. cop on the set and we were standing there between takes and he looks over at my gun in my holster. He's like, he's like, what's that? Like, oh, it's just my my prop gun. He's like, what is it? I'm like, it's a BB gun. And I, he goes, can I see it? I said, sure. So I take it out of the holster. And of course, I hand it to him very, very carefully and uh, hand him the BB gun. And he looks at it and he goes, you know, I'm supposed to arrest you for this. What? Yeah. And I said, what? It's a BB gun. He goes, I know. It's treated as a firearm. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, no. He goes, they're, they're illegal. And he goes, do yourself a favor. He's like, put it back in the holster and, and then get that out of the city. And I, so I was like, okie doke. So yeah, wow. they're very, very Were you strict. able to finish the scene? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, the guy was, the guy was super cool. Um, he just let me know that it was not legal and that I was totally breaking the law and, uh, and just to get it out of the city. And no, he was great. Like he actually took us for a ride in the cop car and that was fun. I mean, what people get out of your way. <laughs> and there's something that's very empowering. You're like, man, this is awesome. They're just getting out of the way. And then we got out and we walked into a deli. And I'm like, oh, people think I'm a cop. <laughs> <laughs> well, not if not if they makes you take the gun out of your holster. They'll be like, well, what, yeah. what are you, where, where's your weapon, man? Yeah. Okay. 
I like this because it's such an unusual fun fact of something people don't know about you, but at the same time, it creeps me out because my biggest fear is spiders. But yet, you wrote you'll spend 20 minutes trying to save a spider? What What is your problem, man? I don't know. I'm, I, I have a soft spot for animals and insects. And um, insects? Yeah, ah, I mean, it depends. I mean, you know, if you bite me, I and, and I hate ticks. Like, I've had Lyme disease three times. No. And, and ehrlichiosis one time. And I, yeah, I, I hate ticks. I will kill ticks as the minute I see them. But yeah, you know, so I will I will spend a lot of time getting, you know, spiders and stink bugs out of the house. My wife is more oh like, my. I'm going to I'm going to kill it. You have 10 seconds. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I'll, and I'll scoop it up and get it out. Yeah. And I, you know, I love animals. I, I feed chipmunks in the summertime. They'll actually eat out of my hand and, and climb on me. I feed That's, birdies. Are you like uh, Snow White? I'm like Snow White. I'm not not as a, not as pretty. My skin's not, not as, as pretty, porcelain. But, I mean, didn't she like sit around and like animals, or was that Cinderella? Some some Disney Snow princess. White. Yeah, they came running up to her, hanging out with her. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I I, I just don't. Just I feel like there. if you don't have to kill it, don't kill it. Right. Okay. Well, let, let, let's let's analyze this, if we may. You, you said, look, if you bite me, then I'm going to kill you, right? Well, yeah. if a spider bites you, that could be really, that could have bad repercussions for you. But so they really why don't. even wait? I don't know, because they, they're scared of you. Brown they don't recluse? really want to, well, I don't, I don't see those. Would you, would you, would you carry a brown recluse out of your house? Probably. Although, you know, <laughs> I almost killed my son, because <laughs> uh, we, uh, in, uh, in, we were in Poland, with the, my my wife's family and mushroom hunting is a big thing in the woods there, and I really enjoy it. It's very fun and therapeutic. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And but you're walking through the woods, and you do have you know these spiders will set up you know, huge webs between trees. I know, which are uh, very unpleasant. And one time my son was my son was very young, and we were in the woods looking for mushrooms, and I had him on my shoulders because he had gotten tired oh. of walking, and I walked into the biggest spider web. And I, sw- I threw, I basically threw my son off, like into the, uh-huh. into the, gr- just this, this panicked reaction when, when the spider web went across my face uh-huh. and I, I, I dropped my son and, and it was like, and, and you know, he's like, ah! <laughs> and I'm pulling <laughs> spider webs off of me and terrified, like, where's the spider? I, I need to know where it is. And, yeah. uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I almost smashed his face into the ground. Out How of terror. old was he? Oh, he, he was probably like. Four or five. Oh man, is yeah, he traumatized it, by that? He wasn't injured or anything. It, it just it just yeah, scared okay, him. Good. But it was just like you know, I, I could have easily just like thrown him. Well, you mentioned stink bugs. Um, yeah. When we lived in New Jersey, the, the, I mean, the, oh, we had window units for air conditioning. So yeah. So the gaps around them. Yep. You know that's where the stink bugs come in, and then they go up high and they hide behind stuff that you have on the wall. I mean, they are. They are freaks. I read where they actually arrived in the United States from Asia on a cargo plane that landed at Allentown Airport in Pennsylvania. Really? Oh, interesting. About 20 years ago, and they've been migrating basically southward ever since, which would make sense if they're from a more warm and humid climate. But um, I hate those things. And and the trick to killing those without having your hand or your house smell like a stink bug, because if people aren't familiar, if you if they feel threatened, they'll, they'll spray I didn't know that actually. So that's why they're called oh, stink bugs. That makes sense. Yeah. That stench is so nasty. And so I, I got it down to a science where if I would find the stink bug in my house, which we did literally every day during the warm months, you, you got you to gotta somehow gradually get it into your hand without it feeling threatened. 
And it sounds like a lot of trouble, but this is the only way to do this. Because if you put them outside, they'll come back in. So what you do is you carry it. <laughs> I'm going to sound like a probably going to get, you know, PETA on me. <laughs> um, you take it because if you flush it, it comes right back up. I mean, these guys are jerks. And so what you do is you just you, you, you slam it down in the bathtub. It knocks it unconscious. Then you pick it up and you put it in the toilet and flush it. And it never comes back because by then it, it's 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 knocked out. You see. God, so, I never, I was never terrified of stink bugs, but now you've kind of freaked me out. First of all, you got to make sure you don't threaten them, then knock them out, then flush them away. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I just get them to walk on a piece of paper. I just, I'll, I'll kind of coax them onto a piece of paper and then put them outside. Aren't you a sweetheart? With it, well, they'll probably <laughs> freeze to death, which is kind yeah, of yeah. There you go. There you go. At least I didn't do it. Nature did it. So speaking of insects, yeah, <laughs> you ate grub worms. In Namibia. So what yes. was that like? Kind of gross. I mean, you know, it's kind of <laughs> you have to you have to kind of get your head around the fact you're eating this very large thing that looks like, you know, a maggot. Oh, why guess, why why'd you do that, man? Were you bored? What was the deal? You know, it's a lesson for the kids because we we uh, you know, when you're in when in Rome kind of thing, uh, it is a it is a thing that they eat in Namibia. They they do them either dried like chips or they do them uh, cooked. The one oh, we had gross. was cooked. Um, and, <laughs> okay. you know, they, they're, they're smushy and you're, you realize you're eating this giant grub worm. It, it, I think it's a moth or it would have been a moth if I didn't eat it. But so, you know, <laughs> so yeah, not the most delicious thing, but it was one of these things. Okay. We're in Namibia. Uh, we most likely won't be here again, you know, so why not, uh, why not try it? And I got my, um, the younger son tried it. My wife and older son would not go near it. Well, I'm I'm on team not try. You know, but now I can say I had a grub worm, and uh, you know, it didn't kill me. I mean, they, they eat them there. They're they're it's it's a snack, and it's got a lot of protein, and it's very cheap to produce because it's it's basically yeah. like maggots. <laughs> and you know how mm, those are very I'm plentiful. Go, yeah, I'm going to go without the protein. I think. But, you know, but you do what you. you have to do. Namibia's, you know, they it's a poor country, so. Yeah. Because yeah. when you're, we were in a shanty town and we saw somebody, no electricity and saw somebody rolling a 55 gallon drum down the ro dirt road. And, uh, and that was water. That's, mm. you know, so they, they fill their 55 gallon drum and they roll the thing back to their house that does not have electricity. And, uh, and yeah. I point that out to the kids and said, you know, so next time you're, you know, the Xbox doesn't work. <laughs> don't, don't complain, you know? Right. It, it's a different world completely. It is. Something yeah. it's hard to even fathom. In a lot of the world, I mean, the, the squalor, the levels of squalor that I saw in China and Cambodia and Vietnam and, and uh, also in Namibia were just, it's staggering. What got you to these places? You're, you're quite traveled. We love to travel. I mean, traveling is, you know, my, my wife and I love traveling and it's, it is the most educational thing you can do, you know, for yourself and also for kids, you know, and yeah. we, because my wife is from Poland and we have family in Poland, we, we're in, we've been in Poland a lot. And then since we're in Poland, you know, I have friends from Ireland, so we'll meet in France. You know, I'll, we've driven across Europe <laughs> multiple times. So, you know, we've, right. and, and it came, okay, well, we've seen most of Europe uh, just from driving through it. And, you know, there were these other countries we'd never seen. So we, um, you know, went to Peru and that was fascinating. And, and you really, and you know, I think it's great for the kids to see, you know, how the world is outside of the U and it really makes you appreciate what you have in the U S 
Because we we do have it so incredibly easy. When you, I mean, Namibia being a perfect example, just the you know, and and you know, in China where you have you know people sharing a, a whole block sharing a bathroom, a public bathroom. And I mean, I, yeah. I can still smell, you know, the, the uh, but, you know, the, this incredible, incredible poverty. That's like yeah. nothing we have in the States. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm disappointed that, you know, my kids were going to go help build houses in Costa Rica Yeah. Uh, back last year. But of course, COVID came and destroyed that opportunity. And hopefully something will come up again where they can, like you said, experience firsthand what it's like in the rest of the world. Well, my, my oldest is actually, he's going, if everything, if as long as COVID doesn't throw it for a loop, he's going to Japan uh, and he'll be gone for a year. He's going to go to high wow. school. They, they have high school during the summer. They don't take a summer break. So he'd be starting high school uh, and, and spend a whole year in a Japanese high school, uh, total immersion, um, and I mean, uh, it sounds amazing. It was all his idea. He found this, this organization that does that. They put you in high schools around the world and he chose Japan cause he's, he's very interested in Japanese culture. Very cool. But, uh, I hope that happens for him. Me, me too. I mean, we're, I mean, at first we were like, no, I don't want you to be gone for a year. He's 16 years old, but now, you know, we're kind of like, if it doesn't happen, we'll be very disappointed because I, he's really looking forward to it. He's been learning Japanese. That's gotta be an amazing uh, experience, especially for a guy who's six foot three, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be the tallest guy in Japan. Um, that is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to see pictures of him standing with his friends at that school. If he's able to get there, that's awesome. You no, know, I mean, he'll be a rock star. He'll, you know, we, I, yeah. I remember when we were, my wife and I were in China and she's blonde and that is, you know, unusual there. Everybody there has black hair. Everybody right. there is Chinese and they, you know, most of those people never, you know, see Westerners. And so we'd go to places and people would come up and take pictures. They'd stand next to her and not say anything. <laughs> they'd just walk up, stand next to her. And then the friend would take a quick picture. Every once in a while they'd ask. And sometimes, you know, and it was just, it was hilarious. Like, you know, you're, you know, you're so unusual there. I, I love your answer when I said, if you could do something that you knew you couldn't fail at, you'd say you'd build a time machine. That's pretty awesome. Would you go back to see Winston Churchill at a pub or something? Right after I killed Hitler. There you go. <laughs> or, you know what? There you I, go. I, I wouldn't kill him. I would just go back to uh, his art school admissions folks and be like, listen, you got to let this guy into art school. <laughs> Otherwise, things are going to go south. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. Then you'd meet up for drinks with Winston, who warned Europe of oh, right. what was coming it, from right. Hitler. Yes, and he'd be Hitler. like, "What are you talking about, man? I'm trying to enjoy my cigar." You're right. He'd <laughs> he'd have had no. Yeah, he wouldn't be a hero like he is. Yeah, that's hilarious. So <laughs> you got to be I, careful how you're going to mess up time. Come on. Yeah, and you never know. I mean, you could just make things worse. Yeah, that's, Although, I think yeah. killing killing Hitler's probably a decent. Although I, mean, I think yeah, I think that's the safe. Uh, I think you're in in a, in a safe zone there as far as. Yeah. Is it getting worse, you know? Stalin, Mao, I think you're fair enough. You could probably get rid of those guys and, and be doing a favor. I think you're safe uh, choosing to take one of those guys out. Although it would be terrible. Okay. It's like, oh, no, now you've unleashed super Hitler. <laughs> right. So my last question for you here, and I've really enjoyed our time together. Thanks for making it for us, Brian. Thank you for having me. Of course. You wish that you had been a Marine. That's very yeah. interesting. My wife will always say, well, you know, then you wouldn't have met me and this and you wouldn't have your kids. I'm like, yeah, I get that part. But like I do, uh, <laughs> you know, like I went to a Marine Corps uh, boot camp when I was a kid, when oh. I was like 13. 
my, my dad basically was like, what are you doing with your summer? I'm like, I don't know. I'm, you know, 13. <laughs> and, and, uh, he's like, well, I, you know, you can't sit around the house. You need, I'm going to send you to this boot camp unless you find something to do. And I thought, okay, I'm going to take him up on this. So I wound up going to Marine Military Academy in Harlingen, Texas, down at the low point, like right near Mexico. Yeah. And, uh, and I actually really enjoyed it. I, I think that kind of, especially for me who, who has a like ADHD, it was a very, very good experience for the structure and just, you know, every, every minute being accounted for, there was no chance for my mind to wander. It was, you know, six o'clock, get out of rack, physical exercise, you know, jog to breakfast, you know, that, that marching close order drill hours, classes, the, I mean, everything was accounted. And then 10 o'clock lights out and you're asleep in seconds because you're so exhausted. Right, right. No kidding. And my father had been a Marine and I, you know, I, I was always kind of fascinated by it. And I just, you know, I, I was 18 and I could have gone to Mar the Marines or I could have gone to college. And I just, I decided to go to college. I think the Marine Corps would have been very good for me maturity wise. It would have helped. Uh, I think I would have grown up a lot because I was very immature. Would and you have been a sharpshooter or something like that? Was that a trait? You know, was that a skill that you had before um, adulthood or? No, I mean, the first time I, sh I shot rifles was when I went to the Marine Corps Military Academy. Yeah, I, my, my dad had a couple of uh, Lee Enfield rifles. Uh, British rifles from the first world war. Uh, but he kind of just had those, you know, when they didn't shoot. I mean, you, you can buy ammo for them. Um, but I hadn't really shot. I mean, I it started at, at the camp. It's the first time I it was a 22. Wow. That's who knows, man. I mean, you take a different path. Who knows? But your wife's right. You, you wouldn't have had her. Right. She's board, always like, so what are you talking about? You wouldn't have met me. You wouldn't have had your kids. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. But I'd have that. The dress blues. Uh, yeah. You, you would like to live on a cruise ship for how long? I mean, there were some people that actually had to because of COVID for months. They were stuck on ships. And that's something you actually want to do. Oh, my. We, we took a cruise and. Uh, there was a lady on the ship who lived on the ship. Really? That's a thing? That's a thing. I mean, if you have the money for it, I mean, it has yeah. to be phenomenally expensive. But she lived on the ship and I, we, we were asking all the crew, you know, the crew knew her because she lived on the ship and we we're asking, her, like, so what, you know, what if she has to go to a wedding? Well, she gets off at whatever port and then flies uh, to wherever the, the wedding is and then rejoins the ship at a different port. Right. I'm like, am I, doesn't she get bored? It's like, no, she has people around all the time. She uh, can visit, you know, she's been all over the world, God knows how many times and, and you know, has seen everywhere. And, yeah. you know, when you're hungry, you go downstairs, <laughs> you know, there, and there's a, <laughs> someone there's cooks a, for you. Somebody makes you, you know, and, there, and there's always, you know, it was very interesting. I mean, uh, that was fascinating. There was, you know, really interesting cast of characters on these things. Because there was clearly uh, uh, like this Russian, shady Russian. Uh, it's, the best way I can describe him is some, this Russian and his wife who was a very uh, ostentatious but vulgar lady. Like just overdid everything. Clearly wanted people to know she had money. They had money. And was a, but like a shady, like there was all these different people I met on the, on that thing, but she was the one who really was like, man, I'd love to live on a cruise ship. You know, not now, I mean like when you're, you know, when you're just older and you just kind of, living on a ship and there's something nice about like that, that vibration of the engine that, huh. that kind of lulls you to sleep. And as long as you're not in a horrible storm where the ship's rocking back and right. forth. Yeah. But, that that uh, could be a problem. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was kind of a nice way to retire, but it has to be incredibly expensive. Right. Right. You're going to have to buy more shares of Tesla. Yeah, exactly. Two's not going to cut it.
No, no. Okay, so anything that we haven't covered that you would like to throw in there for us, or have we pretty much run the gamut of Brian Sack here? I, you know, we were, I, you covered a lot me. of ground, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. People yeah, can find do. you on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Brian, Brian underscore under- sack. And yep. then our, you know, questionable material with Jack and Brian uh, at qmpodcast.com or Apple, Spotify, et cetera. And that's just Jack yep. and I uh, doing, being silly. And um, it, seriously, seriously, just, that's all it is. <laughs> just telling you, I mean, yeah. Entertaining one it. another. <laughs> entertaining each other and then sharing that entertainment with the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it's a really fun creative outlet to have. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we did it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's been enjoyable and, and it's fun to watch it grow and the audience grow and, and get comments and see the reviews and get emails from people. It's really fun. Cause I miss that yeah. from the, the BS of a days. Like I miss, you know, that kind yeah. of feedback and, and the entertainment thing. Well, go and follow him. Brian Sack at Brian underscore Sack uh, on Twitter. And uh, don't forget the letter Q, the letter M, podcast.com for questionable material. Brian Sack, uh, you're awesome, dude. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for having me, Keith. (laughs) That was a lot of fun getting to chat with Brian. I hope you enjoyed our time together as much as I did. Also hope you'll check out his podcast with Jack Helmuth, Questionable Material, over at qmpodcast.com. Very funny stuff. Next time we get together here on At The Mic, I'll be sitting down with Steve Krakauer from The Megan Kelly Show. He and I had a great conversation, which I hope that you will check out next week. In the meantime, please head over to atthemicshow.com. Catch up on any episodes you may have missed. There's sponsor information there, and of course, there are ways to contact us as well. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with anyone you know who may be interested in some fun conversations. Until next time, thank you again for being a part of At The Mic. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemicshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect. Yeah.